right, guys, welcome back to It's Not Just a Game podcast. Today I have Howard Magdal. Uh, that's how you say it, right? It's Magdal, but it's totally fine. Oh, okay. It, well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a made-up changed name from Magdalic, which was over in the old country. So there's no actual correct way to say it. Oh, my but, bad. Well, no, we're no, all good. Off the show. <laughs> we're starting off the show on a bad foot. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> But um, anyway, so um, he is the um, he's incredibly talented. He's incredibly productive. He literally inspires me all the time. So um, he's the editor in chief of High Post Hoops. Um, he's uh, the sports columnist at Politico. He also does some work for The Washington Post, The Times, Forbes, everywhere. Like if you've read about sports money, you've definitely read his work. Um, he's like an incredible like juggernaut in the space. Um, and he is going to share with us how he built a powerhouse kind of media um juggernaut and also like how he's making it in the freelance business right so like uh welcome to the show howard wow i i have to play that introduction for my children that's that was very <laughs> kind thank you <laughs> so um so like all right so how did you get start started you how did you get into like writing did you always do writing or were you did you have a, a career before I, I no, I, writing was always what I wanted to do. When I got out of school, uh, I was working in a paper in upstate New York, uh, near where I went to school. I went to Bard College, and the Hudson Register Star had an opening for a half news, half sports reporter. And so I took that on, and I got to do what, in retrospect, was you know essentially the end of the traditional seven day a week print newspaper business. Uh, at a daily, which was so much fun. And I got to learn how to write on deadline and report and all those things that are really helpful in your day to day, you know, uh, as a freelancer and did that for a couple of years. And I had met my wife uh, who lived uh, further south and didn't want to make that commute an hour and a half uh, every night after I was putting the paper to bed as sports editor by then. And so I decided to come down to the New York City area and uh, try and find a way into uh, freelancing. And from there, uh, it was uh, a fairly straightforward road to knocking on every door until I found an opening at uh, the New York Observer uh, with my mentor, Josh Benson, who was there at the time and started writing about baseball there and things kind of, uh, took off from there. Wow. So, um, and I thought that was like really important that you said that because like, you know, people really think that it's like a grind now, but like you said, you knocked on multiple doors, like you weren't taking no for an answer until you finally found at the right spot. So like, how did you kind of, you know, have like the kind of fortitude to keep, you know, going? Well, You know, first of all, I would say I do that to the present day. I do that right now. There are times where I have an idea for a story and the first place I go doesn't want it. And if there's a story I want to tell, I keep knocking on doors until I find an editor who lets me do it. And that's the number one bit of advice I give to anyone and everyone, uh, which is that you're going to hear no a lot. But how I've always thought about it is I just need one person to say yes. I don't care if I hear a hundred no's. Uh, the first book I wrote, uh, I sent out to about 200 literary agents and wow. got a lot of rejections from it. And then finally there was one. I, I, I was literally, I had bronchitis and was feverish. 
And so it was, I was trying to figure out if it was like a dream or it actually happened where a guy calls me up and says, I'd like to wrap your boat. I think we could sell it. And I got off the phone. I just like could not believe it. And it only happened because if I had sent to 199, but not to him, uh, book wouldn't have gotten published. Wow. I mean, exactly. And I think like people don't really realize that. Like um, I have a good friend, um, her name's Brittany, and she talks about that. She went to 302 lenders um, like when she started her business and like literally like 300, like 300 and the second one said yes. So like it was crazy. You know, this, and, um, we I live see a in a of- subjective world. We live in a world where people are making these subjective decisions. And the biggest mistake you make is trying to think it's objective. Different people come to different conclusions with the same fact pattern, with the same basic study, and, and people are wrong all the time. And so you do. You have to. And, and sometimes knocking on the, on the door isn't just a question of going through established channels. And, and I'll say that by way of. Ari Chambers, who's one of my heroes, one of my favorite people in this business. Ari Chambers started working at High Post Hoops because she was working on the cheer squad at the Liberty, but knew, had a background in journalism and knew she could do the work and came up to me. I was in the press area and had a conversation with me. I was so impressed by her. We gave her an opportunity at High Post Hoops. She blew it out of the water. Now she's a bleacher reporter. But that's how she did it, by knocking on... A door that other people might not even have recognized as a door. And that's the thing that's so important in this and any business. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like 100%, like my whole life, like, yep, I agree with you. Like, you know, you have to go through the non-traditional channels because you see so many people just basically run into the same doors all the time. And it's like, you got to find an angle. Like, and that's what journalism is about too. Like, you know, because, and, you know, you majored in journalism, like this, it, one story is like so many different angles to the story, right? Like that's, you got that's a great mind. point. Yeah, I, I, and and that's that's a useful thing for writers to remember as well. I, I know there are writers who will uh, worry if they're working on subject X, and then another writer comes out with a story about subject X. I, I just had this happen uh, talking to uh, a colleague of mine. I was working on a story about one of the all stars, and uh, a couple of the stories came out. You know, what are we going to do? Well, what what we're going to do is you'll have your take on it, your perspective on it. And you can also use that as a positive. If the subject of a story has already answered questions, you can read those questions and see, well, that gets you further in. So now you can ask questions that build upon the work that's already been done and you can take it to another level. So there's, there's always a different entry point and you bring unique skills to it. And that's what really matters, whether it's the job itself or what, what you're doing once you get it. Exactly. That's that's incredible. Yeah. And that's because a lot of times I think people are so addicted to trying to be the first or trying to be right. Or even you see that like, you know, in, you know, people even in the workspace. Right. So my background is in marketing and people always want to like be first, be first, be first with the first idea. But it's like it's not really about being first. It's about like how can you build an angle that's sustainable? Right. Like, you know, and you got to also think about, too, like from the PR perspective, like, you know, um, perfect example. Uh, what was it? I saw like on Twitter, like it was like three stories came out like on the same day about one player. And I forget what her name is, but like um, I think it's like Sophie or whatever. And like um, and so, um, and I don't I don't know because like I don't follow it that deep. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, PR people are like pitching, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so right. they're knocking on many 
So like, you never really know, like you can't expect to be that only person that's going to have like, you know, a lead on something. But so you're, you're, but to bring it back to kind of like, all right, so you're knocking on doors. You also learn how to do deadlines and stuff. So one thing that impressed me, which I was like blown away a couple, like a couple weeks ago, I think it was like around July 12th or something. You said that like you already had like 50 articles out in the month of July. Like, so how did you, how did you become that productive? Well, like, so, so let, I want to be clear about that. Those are articles that um, I edited during the week. Uh, Bria Felician, who's a fantastic talent, uh, our Atlanta Dream Beat reporter and weekend editor at High Post Hoops, edited a bunch of them. Uh, and that's the team that I've assembled at High Post Hoops. So that was collectively what we have done there. So uh, it's a useful entry point into how and why we got to the point that we did with High Post Hoops, which uh, is now uh, two years old and is, uh, to my mind and to the mind of many, uh, the preeminent place to follow and covers women's basketball like no one else in this industry. And, right. and, and the easiest answer for that is I have worked aggressively to identify young talent, to find ways and different, different entry points to be covering the league, to be covering women's college basketball, to be covering overseas and high school and recruiting right. and making sure that there is a talent and a steady stream of stories coming from those talented young reporters uh, to be able to make sure we are covering women's basketball like no one's ever done it before. And so that's the net result of how you end up. We now have people in 10 of the 12 WNBA markets, Dallas and Seattle. We're still looking. Uh, I make sure that if there are people who are working at high post hoops, it's because they are capable. It's because they are responsive. Uh, I, I somebody who delivers a good article, but you don't know when they will deliver it is not somebody you necessarily want in journalism mm -hmm. and making sure that uh, they are in a position where I can help them grow and develop and uh, hopefully uh, both continue to grow high post tubes and find additional opportunities, uh, which is something that we've done for uh, writers, you know, whether it's uh, moving on to ESPN or Bleacher Report, or The Athletic, or numerous other places, uh, in addition to the work at High Post Hoops. Right. And you know, I thought what's so unique about you is like, I think what's so unique about you, and like, as I've followed you and kind of gotten to know you better over like the last couple of weeks, I noticed how much you empower young people. Because like, I'm 27. And like, a lot of times, like, you know, people are always like, oh, millennials this and millennials that, and they're not reliable and this, that, and the other. And even like, I've noticed like, even in like the women's hoop space, like it's very kind of like, it's it's very small, even though it's deep, if that makes sense. It's small, but it's, mm -hmm. but, and it's like, and like a lot of people aren't like you in the sense of like, people say, hey, I want to grow the game, but they want to like still kind of go down the same channels that they've been like with the same people and the same talent and the same voices and the same. And it's like, and you are like, no, like, and I, and I, and I saw like, you said something to somebody and you were like, you know, her, her voice is important. Like you were talking about some other writer and I don't even know. And I was like, that's so refreshing to see like a guy that's just not afraid to like not only empower young people's voices, but you empower a lot of women's voices. Like, so how did you kind of like get to that? And like, you know, have you always been like that? So 
so there's a lot to unpack in that, right? And and first of all, I appreciate you noticing it, um, but it's something that feels to me like the bare minimum responsibility for any of us in this mm. industry. Um, and and you're right that that not everybody everybody does it. That there are some people, even in the women's basketball space, who oh, we've got the small sandbox, and I occupy a certain percentage of it, and you don't want it to get any larger. Um, and I think it's kind of a garbage moral way of going about it, leaving aside uh, the tremendous disservice it does to the industry as a whole and uh, our ability to cover the lead as well as we can. Um, but that's a whole other question. There's, so, so let's sort of take two in turn, right? There's, there's, there's the moral side of it, and it's something that I've always believed, which is that when I was coming up, there were people who were helpful to me, uh, and I believe I owe it to those who come behind. Um, in addition you would have to be blind, willfully blind, not to see that in this industry, there is a scarcity of women. There is a scarcity of people of color, and there is an extreme scarcity of women of color in this industry. And so if you want to make an equitable, fairer, and better industry to cover sports, you need to make an effort to not just hope for diversity, but to positively and aggressively and forcefully go about changing it. And if I'm already in the industry and I'm in a position to be able to bring people in and mentor them, if I'm not conscious of that and paying attention to that, then that is a moral failure as far as I'm concerned. So that is significant in and of itself. And that's something that I bring to mind when it comes to people I'm helping informally, when it comes to people I'm bringing out on high post hoops. It is something that you have to be conscious about or else there's going to be no change in an industry that desperately needs that change. So that I, I take no credit for it. I just think it's what everyone should be doing here. But I'll take it a step further as it relates to women's basketball and the WNBA. This is a league that is overwhelmingly women of color. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a group of white male reporters only, covering the league, you are going to, by necessity, miss angles and questions and shared experiences that are going to limit the way in which that lead is covered. And so I think there is a responsibility to do that. It's something that I lean on with my staff all the time as well to be asking those questions in the same way that I end an interview by saying, what did I not ask you about that I should have? You know, I don't want to be limited by what I'm asking you because mm -hmm. by necessity, our our lived experiences are different and limited. And so all of that goes into part of why it's been so important, why that's so critical as far as I'm concerned. I give you one more. High post hoops in a sort of money ball way can identify women of color who are otherwise not getting opportunities in the industry. And so leave aside the moral imperative, leave aside the uh, question of experience, leave aside all of those questions. There's this huge talent base that is largely untapped in our industry. Mm -hmm. And it's in the same way that the NBA has kind of gotten around to discovering, hey, we should hire some women to coach. You know, <laughs> this talent level has always been there. You, you could have gone back 20 years ago and you could have hired a young Carol Lawson. 
And Carol Austin, in fact, was knocking on that door. When she was in Sacramento, when she was with the monarch, she wanted to observe with the Kings. Kings wouldn't let her. This was 2002. Well, here we are in 2019, and now Carol Austin's an assistant with the Boston Celtics. And so on top of all of those things, there's uh, an ability to bring talented people in who aren't getting a shot uh, in, in other parts of this industry. And, and, and there is positive growth and there's change. And you're seeing people get those opportunities more and more to write about women's basketball. Who is writing about women's basketball? You are seeing that positive development just in the past year or two. I've even seen some significant uh, part of that. I like to believe and hope that the work I've done at High Post Hoops and that everyone has done at High Post Hoops has helped open some eyes to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, that is like such a mic drop. Like, I mean, because it's so true. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand, like, you know, because you see a lot of resistance and stuff like that, you know, in the marketplace, you see progress and you see resistance. But I think people don't really understand that, like, with the global, like, kind of economy that we have and, like, the type of diversity, like, it's too late to turn back. And it's going to be very, very expensive for a lot of organizations and corporations to try to remain kind of like the same like homogeneous way that they've like been kind of you know trying to operate up under like you see like tons of mistakes right like you know all the time like you see the pepsi miscue you see the h&m miscue Mm -hmm. and you see and like you think like you know what makes high post so interesting is like because you have so many different perspectives like and it, it like even if all of you guys wrote the same story one week it would still be different. You know what I mean? Because of like the kind of collection of diversity, you know what I mean? And that is just like huge. Right. So like, um, you know, a lot of questions you kind of answered because I was going to ask you about, you know, like, what do you think the state of the industry is and like, you know, in the direction that it's going? Like you've seen the growth around, you know, women's sports. Uh, Wasserman recently came out with the collective where they invested a hundred, not a hundred, they, I'm lying. Um, One million dollars in uh, in like, I guess, a women's initiative, you know, marketing initiative and stuff like that. Where do you see the industry going? Do you think this is just a fad or you think it's going to be sustainable? I, I think it's it's what you said, which is that there's going to come a time and that time may be now. We may be in the midst of it where people are going to realize not only is this the right thing to do ethically, but this is the right thing to do economically. And mm-hmm. I, I think I think diversity ends up uh, there's almost these these two phases of it. And we've seen this uh, play its way out across the political space, across uh, the electoral space specifically uh, and, and, and economically over and over again, which is that there's a moral component to it. And then people get around to realizing and understanding, geez, there's money to be made as well. I was I was talking to. Uh, a front office person uh, in NWSL uh, a couple of weeks ago about this. And there's almost this inherent frustration when they see more companies get involved and understand that women's sports is this uh, area of growth where you say, you know, geez, now you're coming in with your wallet open and your hand out. We've been here a long time, but the flip side of it is, thank goodness you are, because it's yeah. just going to drive growth and it's going to drive salaries and it's going to do all the things necessary to turn, uh, for instance, NWSL into what uh, we all believe it uh, is capable of being, or certainly I do. And so that's the easiest answer, I guess, for how I see it on the journalism side as well, is that 
people are coming around to understand that, like, oh, wow, we, we miss these storytelling uh, capabilities in the same way that people are coming around to the WNBA and, uh, wow, this is really compelling television and that's why the ratings are going up and here's an opportunity uh, to market it properly. Right. I agree with you. So I'm going to ask you a question that like I did not send you, but like it just came to my mind like Please. when you were talking. So the, the NWSL, right? And so like last episode, um, we were talking about the U.S. women's soccer team and like the celebration. But, you know, basically how a lot of women's basketball led the, led the way, right? And mm-hmm. so like, um, do you think, just say as a person that's been around it, like, you know, for a long time do you think that a lot of women's leagues uh, are going to disproportionately benefit from what like women's basketball fought for because it's like it sometimes it still feels as if like women's basketball is like hey you know what you know shut up you know whatever the case may be but it's like when you see soccer and you see women's tennis but tennis has been around for way longer tennis and golf but like you know like do you think that that uh, the other leagues, or do you think the WNBA will be right on pace? Well, forgive me for using that as an opportunity to plug, but it's to a larger point, which is that I, I'm the co-founder and editor of the Nine newsletter. The Nine newsletter is a daily women's sports email that's sent out. It is a combination of a column by somebody who covers one of five different women's sports, Annie Peterson uh, for soccer. Uh, Lindsay Gibbs for tennis, I do basketball, Carly Drenfeld does golf, and Erica Ayala does hockey. And the reason I bring that up is that there is a connection across these sports that is significant and is constant and is ever-growing and developing. Uh, Team She Is um, does uh, terrific work at Katie Donovan uh, in this space as well. And so that is by way of answering your questions, which is to say that those connections are explicit and significant and continuing to grow. And so I'll use a couple of examples, one being that as the WNBPA is fighting for a better collective bargaining agreement, they have met informally and had conversations with the U.S. women's national team players on the soccer side, who are constantly and consistently in the equal pay fight against U.S. soccer. By the same token, U.S. soccer and those players, Megan Rapinoe and the like, have met with and had conversations uh, with Hillary Knight and with the USA hockey players who successfully led a strike against USA hockey in order to improve conditions for them. All of which is to say the reason why and a critical reason why I think we are seeing a bigger boom after the U.S. uh, winning the World Cup in 2019 compared to 2015 is that this has always been a matter of equal rights, but there has been an explicit and consistent and repeated tie-in to it. And you're hearing it from more and more figures. And so the more you amplify these figures, the more their voices are heard. And that's, uh, to me, what we're seeing, um, all of which is to say, I expect that process to just get larger and larger. And it ties back to your earlier question about um, empowering people and bringing new voices into the space. More is more when it comes to sports media with women too, right? Nobody's like, oh no, because there are 60 people writing a LeBron story, we can't have a 61st person. And in fact, everybody reads the first 60 more because everyone knows who LeBron is because there's so many stories about him. 
And and I don't begrudge right. LeBron that for a second. But the idea that that we shouldn't have the same thing be true about Tina Charles is absurd. It is. It is. Yeah, because I think like you look at um, I think women's softball and women's hockey really needs to like. I mean, there's no like. I mean, besides what you know, like you said, the stuff that you guys mm-hmm. are doing at the night, like there's no real coverage around it. And I mean, and these women are like incredible. They're gold medalists. They're like you know, head and shoulders above the world, you know, uh, talent wise. And, you know, and it's like, all you hear about is soccer and women's basketball. We got to change that. Yes, um, subscribe to the know line, what? $5 a month. <laughs> at the right. newsletter, so I, at T-H-E-I-X newsletter. Forgive the plug, but I, it's so important because for just that reason, you know, a, a big part of what we do, by the way, is we have a massive link section in every single newsletter. And it's as simple as if you want to be able to follow each of these five women's sports, have it in your inbox every weekday, the more people that click on it, the better those stories do and the more these media outlets are going to cover it more. And so, again, it's just one of these things where we are trying to lift every voice to make sure that the that the amplification for those voices get louder and louder is self-perpetuating. I love it. I love the plug. And you know what, though? And since, like, you know, I love doing deals and I love a closer and you literally just close that right now. And I'm never I'm never mad about somebody plugging anything that's going to lift up something. But Howard, it's 1130. I know you got to go because you got your um, knee stuff. But I want to thank you so much for coming on. And I really want to say I cannot iterate enough how much I like appreciate your voice. I appreciate your collaborative approach to everything. You are like an absolute rock star, dude. I love you. I, I appreciate it. Um, it was such a great conversation with you. I, I'm sure the first of many that we get a chance to do. We will. We will. So I'm going to be in touch with you and you go enjoy um, your the rest of your day. And thank you so much. Oh, for my sharing pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. Right, you too. I'll care. talk to you soon. And, and drop me a line uh, with um, some further thoughts about on the business side of writing, because what we'll do is we'll just get you in the mix on high post hoops. But but it's, it's a great and necessary additional angle. So uh, I'm all in for it. Let, let's find a way to do it. Perfect. Perfect. I'm glad. So I'll get perfect. that over that to you That sounds great. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Wish me luck. My first ever PT. I don't know what it's like. I'm going to find out. You'll I do guess. great. Have, have a great weekend. I'll talk to you. All right. Bye. You too. Bye.